0: Welcome to A Passion to Serve. My name is Don Kutnicki and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm a big fan of storytelling and during the podcast, we'll be sharing real human stories about migrant and seasonal farmworkers and the work that's being done on their behalf. For example, do you know about the contributions of migrant and seasonal farm workers to the United States economy and the challenges these farm workers face on a daily basis? What about services for farmworker youth in order to lead them on the path towards self-discovery and self-sufficiency? And what about lessons learned by leaders who have dedicated their lives to serving others through a variety of programs? These stories and so much more will be part of a passion to serve. I hope you decide to join us on this path of discovery.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for being present with us today. I feel fortunate to work alongside colleagues dedicated to social justice conversations and action. Like Suzanne said, my name is Kaylin Miller. The pronouns I prefer are she, her, and hers, and I am the Director of Workforce and Career Services in Indiana for Transition Resources Corporation. I am thrilled about the opportunity to be your moderator today. We have partnered with the Southern Coalition for Social Justice and Me Familia Vota to participate in a question and answer panel discussion. For those of you following us live, you can add your comments and questions to the comments feature in the Facebook live stream, and we will do our best to monitor that as we go, trying to bring your voice into the conversation at the end of the panel discussion. Let me start by introducing our phenomenal panelists that we have here today. With us, we have Mitchell Brown from the Southern Coalition for Social Justice. Mitchell, can you tell us a little bit more about SCSJ's mission and what you do for the organization?
2: Uh, Yes, I can. Uh, Thank you so much for having me on today. It's a a pleasure uh, to be with you all today. Uh, As Kaitlin said, my name is Mitchell Brown. I'm counsel at the Southern Coalition for Social Justice in Durham, North Carolina. Um, I'm there currently on an Equal Justice Works Fellowship sponsored by the Ottinger Foundation. And my project, uh, it's a project-based fellowship, and my project focuses on what we call the criminalization of the ballot box. Uh, which we define as the use of public or private power to prosecute those and and intimidate those voters um, who may not be eligible and are being prosecuted for their mistaken belief that they are eligible. Uh, There are several examples um, that I won't get into right now of people who have a mistaken belief that they can vote and uh, they are prosecuted uh, for voting while they're ineligible because they're a non-citizen or because they have a felony record and are subject to further felony penalties. And this is used to intimidate black and brown voters across the country. Uh, and so my project aims to stem that tide. Uh, but the mission of SSJ, uh writ large is to protect uh, minority communities and, dis- and economically disadvantaged communities uh, and helping them to secure their rights, whether that be voting rights or rights within the criminal legal system um, in the past, we, we've done some environmental justice work as well, but our goal is to make sure that everybody has an equal right um, to uh, be an equal citizen, uh, equal person in this community, uh, and that they, the rights are secured. So we have a voting rights team that uh, helps to secure the right to vote, and we also have a justice system reform team that works on issues within the criminal legal system, making sure that people are represented uh, to the fullest extent possible. Um, and that they are able to be active members of their, their communities. Uh, and and that's, that's our mission is protecting these rights and really having a racial equity uh, component to the work that we do. That, that is one of the first questions that we ask is how does this fit uh, how does racial equity fit into the work that we do? Um, and it really guides everything that we do. So thank you for having me today.
1: That is profound work. Mitchell, thank you so much for being here today. And we also have Angie Razo from Mi Familia Vota. Angie, can you tell us a little bit about Mi Familia Vota's mission and what your role is within the organization, please?
3: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kaylin, Suzanne, and Mitchell for letting me share the space with y'all. My name is Angie Raza. I'm the Texas State Director for Mi Familia Huerta. My pronouns are she, her, and ella. Mi Familia Guata is a national civic engagement organization whose mission is to increase political representation and power in the Latinx community and our immigrant communities. We operate in six states where um, increasing Latino voter engagement and electoral work could really be making a difference in the, land, in the political um, power landscape. Um, so even though we don't have operations along the East Coast, we are still working on engaging that Latinx voters that have been historically underrepresented and we share the same communities that y'all serve. So very much happy to be part of this conversation. Um, our work is really engaging folks in the civic engagement process from voter registration, having folks apply to citizenship. Um, we also do a lot of advocacy work on issues that disproportionately impact the Latin community. So for example, environmental justice, voting rights, workers' rights, um, health care, education, health care. So all these different issues that we see have been very prevalent in our community, and we're disproportionately impacted, and especially now during COVID-19. And with the elections just around the corner, we're doing some really robust voter education to make sure our community members are registered to vote, feel empowered to vote, and understand how their vote can really make a difference. So very much looking forward to the conversation today.
1: Wow, thank you both so much. I don't know about the folks listening in, but I'm certainly excited to learn from the both of you. So, we have plenty of ground to cover today, including some topics around voter engagement and how voting can impact social justice change in the communities that we are in, the connection between the census and redistricting and what that means to marginalized populations and the 2020 election and the pandemic. And so all of these topics could have multiple books dedicated to them. Right. And so we will do our best to keep the conversation moving. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, with our first question. So I will throw the first question, question to Angie. Angie, how can we use voting as a way to create the change that we want to see in our communities?
3: Yeah, that's a great question, Caitlin. Um, And it's really important to talk about voting beyond Election Day. Sometimes people don't want to vote because they're not really sure what their vote means. But voting is just one way that we can say, hey, I want to put people in office that are going to represent me, that understand the issues that my community is going through, and are making some really great decisions that have a positive impact on our community. And that's everything from the president to state or local judges, right? So we don't always talk about all the different levels of government that impact us. Um, And so we always like to lead um, our conversations with community members on what matters to you? What are the issues that are impacting you? And a lot of the times we hear things like, well, I want my children to have a good education. I want my children to go to college and to be able to afford it. You know, I want to have a sustainable job. Um, I want to live in a thriving community um, that's pedestrian friendly. I want to live in, an, in a place that doesn't have toxins in the air. Um, you know, I worry about paying for my, my health care insurance. And when we have those conversations with folks, we're able to say, you know, there's people in positions of power that were elected to be there. are making decisions on a daily basis that are impacting you and so we dive in a little deeper on who are those folks who are those positions how do one we advocate um while they're in office and then come election time how do we interact with them to make sure that we're putting community issues center and front um and making sure that people are saying you know i want to vote for someone who really listens to the values that um, are coming out of my community but we always try to make sure that voting is a way to center community voice, um, to center the daily experiences that that folks are going through. Um, And that's that's really the benefit we get from voting is allowing us to have power in electing people that are going to be impacting our lives.
1: Thank you, Angie, I completely agree that voting needs to be focused all the way down to the local level. So thank you for emphasizing that for us. Mitchell, do you have anything to
2: add about how voting can create the change that we want to see in our communities? Yeah, uh, you know, and just so I think I think Angie hit on some of the major points that, you know, I I was wanting to make. Uh, But I think one thing that I like to say, and it's kind of it's kind of a hashtag, if you will, is is your vote is your voice. Uh, And if you choose not to vote, then you're choosing not to use your voice. And uh, You are silencing, you know, you're, you're silencing, you're being a silent you know, member of your community when we need the communities to speak out. Uh, these elected officials work for us. You know, we don't work for them. Uh, we uh, have the political currency, which is our vote, that we vote for them to go in office and represent our interests. And when a person, when an elected official does not represent our interests, then we have the power to hold them accountable for not you know, working for our issues, and, and if they are, we have the power to keep them in office, to continue to work on behalf of the people. And I think that's something that is, is very important and is lost in, in many conversations in our society about elected office. And elected office is supposed to be a, a way that you can help people, not a way that you can line your pockets with corporate money, <laughs> you know, uh, or line your pockets uh, with with special interests. Like, it's, it's a way for you to help people. And so, you know, as a voter, you have the opportunity to hold them accountable. And I think that's at, at, the, at base level, that's what it's all about, is holding elected officials accountable so that your family is taken care of and that your community uh, is is represented um, in in from the local city council to the president, the seat, the seat of the president, making sure that your community has a say in how they're governed. Uh, and, you know, I just, I want to reiterate again, that your vote is your voice. Like, you have to use your voice. You have to ensure that you elected officials and your communities are well represented.
1: Absolutely. Your your vote, your voice. I love that. Okay, can you, Angie, speak a little bit more to any specific things that your organization is doing to encourage voter engagement? I know you said you've got a lot of really robust efforts going on right now. Would you like to highlight any in particular for those
2: listening in?
3: yeah definitely we are really excited that we launched a um a hotline last a uh, couple of weeks ago a national hotline um that's being by our team members in all the different states where we operate and also have capacity to take calls um from all over the country and this hotline is um being promoted through all our great media partnerships like univision intervision um, some English speaking channels as well. So we're taking advantage of the, you know, of our community relationships to promote this hotline, but we've seen that folks are calling in and they're asking, how do I get registered to vote? Um, and again, in a time where we're not able to be out in our community, we still want to be able to um, provide opportunities for folks to seek resources to seek information so they can register to vote and they can go vote in November. Um so our hotline is 1833, votamos or one eight. Two six seven two six six seven. Um, so you can call that hotline. If no one picks up, you can leave a voicemail. We'll have somebody get back to you. But again, it's just so crucial that we we meet our community where they they're at right now. Voting is not always super easy. It can be a little complicated. Um, you know. Things have been changing with COVID-19, so we have a great team of folks that understand voting one-on-one elections, A through Z, and can really make sure that we're helping individuals on their individual case basis, on making sure they know how to register to vote, they know how to cast a ballot by mail in their state, they know where they can find their polling location. So providing some really specific assistance is what really our folks need right now, and we're so happy to have a national hotline do that. Yeah.
1: What a
2: fantastic
1: resource. Um, Go ahead,
2: Mitchell. Yeah, and Kayla, yeah, Caleb, you don't mind me jumping in, you know. So, so SCSJ, you know, also does also does work with with a voter hotline. Um, uh, so we, we work with the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law in DC um, on our election protection hotline, where we help voters, uh, you know, if we have questions, we help them navigate the voting process. And I think that's the key to engagement, is because a lot of voters don't think don't know you know the nuances of, of voting rights law but that's where i come into play you know i can help you i get you on the phone i can help na- help you navigate the process you know and and by doing that and by helping them with the process it sh- really shows them that that their vote matters um there is a there's a a myth and i will call it a myth in this society in our society that your vote does not matter but I, whenever somebody tells me yeah my vote doesn't really matter i tell them the stories of, of elected officials that won by one vote you know i tell them the stories of, of elected officials uh, who may have lost you know or won by a small margin and that their voice and, and their opinion that their vote does not matter imagine having a thousand people that say that same thing that my vote doesn't really matter and they stay home in the ele- during the any election you know local presidential or state election to stay home then you have a thousand voters who now have silent have silenced themselves um and now that affects the community you know and so engaging voters through helping them navigate the process is one way we engage them but another way you know uh, about what we're doing to encourage voter engagement is uplifting and elevating the voices of the community um we we uplift the stories of how uh you know you know uh, our successes that we've had you know in terms of protecting the right to vote we uplift those, uh, those, those stories and tell the community that your, your voice does matter, you know, and your voice is making a difference in our society and in your community. And we have the, and we have the proof of that. And I think that's something that we do as we elevate those stories. And that's very, very important in engaging more voters because now they see that, man, I can make a difference. Uh, and there, there's a quote. I'm not sure who said it, but there's a quote that says that one voice can change a room. One room can change, you know, a community, a neighborhood, one neighborhood can change the community, so on and so forth. Like your voice can really resonate and the ripple effect of, of you voting. The ripple effect of your voice being heard can travel farther than you even think. And, and as, you, as you vote and you get your family to vote, you know, uh, and, and express their voices and, and expands out, the ripple effect is really, really powerful and making a difference and making a change in our communities. And so that's something that we try to do at SCSJ is elevate those stories and elevate the stories of our clients to ensure um, that people know that they can make a difference.
1: It's really powerful. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Um, before I go on to the next question, I wanted to announce again that this Facebook live stream is audio only. So if you're not seeing our faces, that is normal. That's that's what we're, you should be seeing a graphic. And so this is audio only just to announce that again. And so I'll go ahead and go to the next question. Um, and so given the racial injustices that we are still seeing in our country today, in what ways can voter engagement be used as a tool to hold our local leaders accountable to the racial justice changes that need to be made.
3: Angie, would you like to start us off with this question? Yeah, let me me just jump in there because this is really exciting um, because I think people are asking this question more and more um, and I don't think, nothing has really changed. Like the way I would have answered this question today wouldn't have have changed of how I would have asked it or how I would have answered it a few years ago. But racial equity is, at every single level of government and every single issue area that a candidate stands for. Um, And I think it just needs to be a lot more prominent and a lot more explicit, and we need to be asking candidate and elected officials, any decision maker, how are you making sure that communities of color who have been historically underserved, historically marginalized, thriving? Um, How are you putting them at the forefront of your, your policies, and how are you rectifying the the wrongs that we've allowed to perpetrate our country for such a long time, and that's in health, and it's in education, and it's in housing, and it's in uh, natural disaster recovery, Um, and it's across every single issue area. So my suggestion to folks that really want to make sure that they're voting with a racial equity lens is ask, you know, as you're going to um, the polls this November, take a look at your candidates and take a look um at their policy stances and their platforms and figure out you know how are they ensuring that we're uplifting folks that you know we're we're investing in our communities across all levels um some folks have a very specific racial equity agenda some of the some candidates have it embedded some of them aren't really talking about it and so we have to ask those hard questions we have to um you know be really clear about what we're looking for um, and i mean it's you know, we know that black and brown communities have been disproportionately impacted. Um, and we need our candidates and our elected officials to be very clear and to put forward policy pathways that are going to rectify that. Um, so we want really data-driven, research-based, community-centered solutions um, that are driving you know, what candidates are saying this November. And we have a, you know, our, our community wants to see that they want to see themselves reflected in platforms and that's how they're making decisions right that's how we end up advocating for ourselves um, and that's how we end up just how mitchell said using our voice um, and i think it's just a really great way to have our communities represented when we're looking at you know what um how do we have a racial equity agenda um, a really good example would be um at the local level uh, i'll give a, a houston example um, At the local level our county is a very powerful form of government and if we know that certain folks are incarcerated at higher rates that's a racial equity issue right um black and brown folks are incarcerated, incarcerated at higher rates county government which controls the jailing systems um you know we need to hold them accountable we need to ask them the questions like why is this happening let's let's set forward policy solutions that are undoing this and let's recognize that um, so it can be like these conversations just really infiltrate every single issue that we care about. So my my suggestion is, you know, what are the issues that you really care about? Um, and are your candidates um, really uplifting communities of color on their in their platforms?
2: Yeah, and I think I think and Angie, you know, just just to hop on that, I, I, th- I think that that's a very, very important point. Is you know is asking your candidates what are you doing to help my community? I think that's a question that doesn't that doesn't get asked too often. Um, you know, too often our elected officials are beholden to public interests, you know, excuse me, special interests, you know, that are not necessarily in line with with the community. So I, I just want to you know really you know uh, you know highlight that, that that's a very important point. But one of the points that I also want to highlight is just the initial right to vote itself is being suppressed all across this country. Um, So whether it be through voter ID laws or whether it be now, you know, we're going to talk a little later about the pandemic or whether it is how you can vote safely at the polls, um, you know, or whether it is not or whether, you know, you are removed uh, from the voting rolls because you haven't voted in a while. You know, now as a voting rights attorney, I want you to vote as often as possible. You know, in every election, local, state or federal, I want you to vote every election. Uh, But, you know, there are there are entities out there in our society that are trying to prevent people from voting and particularly prevent black and brown people from voting. Uh, Today, you know, the irony is not lost on me that today is the 55th anniversary of the signing of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Um, The irony is not lost that we're having this conversation today in 2020. in in a, in a society that's facing the same issues that we faced back in 1965, it's like we've gone backwards, and and you, we've gone backwards thanks to you know the Supreme Court in Shelby County Beholder, which held that states that were under preclearance are no long, no longer have to be under preclearance because uh, in in the eyes of the majority of the justices, voting is for discrimination and voting does not exist. Uh, and whenever I hear that, I, I say these justices should talk to our clients. Either me, my, me, Familia Vota or SCSJ, they should talk to our clients because discrimination is real in the voting rights context. And so, you know, I, we're still fighting these same battles. And that's why it's more important today, you know, uh, to continue to push back and continue to let our voices be heard and to, to hold our elected officials accountable to doing making policies and laws that help our community. Um, and another thing I'll note is that you know if you look at our society writ large, the United States, you know, there's a changing electorate. You know, the electorate is becoming you know more black and brown by the day, uh, and, and that is scary uh, to to those who would hold on to uh, you know this theory of white supremacy and this theory that white votes uh, are what matter the most. You know, like there's a changing electorate. We have a changing power dynamic. Uh, with people of color being being the majority in this country, and and with that we have the uh, we have a power um, to really focus make our elected officials, and I say make on purpose, like make them focus on issues that affect us. But we have to we have to surround uh, we have to surround ourselves with with uh, people white minded people that will push us to to continue to vote and continue to express ideas. Um, And but we also have to come have a platform uh, and and, and topics that we're interested in. A lot of people have a lot of different ideas. So I think it's important and incumbent upon communities to come together and say, this is what's important to our community. And everybody's not going to be happy. You know, my my, my dad and I have these conversations, you know, on a weekly basis about what does the community want and how do we let elected officials know that? And so, you know, you know, we haven't come up with a solution, (laughs) but the answer is to, kind of coalesce around two or three things that are important to your community and then run with those and push your elected officials to focus on them uh, because that's what's going to help your community the most. Um, and also, you know, doubling back is just focusing on on voter suppression, making sure that, you know, uh, these policies and laws around the right to vote, like, make sure that everybody has the right to vote. And if an elected official... Exhorting for laws that will affect the black and brown community in particular. They don't need to be in office anymore, you know, because they're trying to suppress the right to vote. And and that can't happen. We should not be having the same conversations now in 2020 that we had back in 1965. Like that, That's a shame, um, you know, and that's why we have to continue to fight and fight for permanent lasting change uh, so that something doesn't happen like this 55 years later.
1: I'm so happy that you brought up the historical piece of that Mitchell and the blend of what you two are saying together in response to this question is really profound and that racial justice permeates every issue. Um, So you could pick some issues, um, pick the ones that mean the most to you and ask yourself that important question that you said Mitchell which what are my elected officials doing around this issue for my specific community um, or with the lens of racial equity. So thank you both so much for your reflections on that question. We're um, to stay on track. We're going to have to pivot a little bit um, because we really want to get into talking about the 2020 census. Um, it's a big thing that's happening um, this year. And I know, Mitchell, that your organization is doing a lot of great work and really looking into um, the census and redistricting. So, uh, this question, we'll start with you, Mitchell. I um, know our staff at Telemon have been promoting the 2020 census and encouraging program participants to complete the survey. Can you talk about why the census is so important and how it ties to political representation, especially for our low-income and minority communities?
2: Absolutely, um, you know, and so, Caitlin, like you said, so SCSJ is doing uh, what we call crowd academies, um, which are academies to train, uh, you know, uh, community members about the redistricting process. Uh, so for those who don't know, for those who are listening and don't know, uh, right now we have the census that is that is out and still available. If you have not filled out the census, please do. Um, it's very, very important that you do, uh, because that is directly tied to how state legislatures will redistrict and draw the state, local and federal districts for next year, uh, next year for the next 10 years. Uh, so in 2021, state legislatures across the country will uh, Will seek to redraw the districts to make sure that each district has an equal population of number of people. So, uh, in, the, in the different congressional districts, uh, they have to have equal numbers of people. And the reason for that is to ensure that everybody's vote, every voter that votes in, in the election, has an equal say in how they are governed. Uh, what we saw in the past, uh, in past years, in the 1800s um, in particular, when redistricting really uh, started was that rural voters you may have 100 voters in a rural county you know but then you have a thousand people in an urban center um but they still have one representative and so those 100 voters have more power uh, because there's they're electing one so 100 people are electing one representative whereas in the urban center one thousand voters are voting uh are voting for one representative and electing one representative uh, there's a power disparity there uh, between the urban center and the and the rural parts of, of your, your state. And so what the Supreme Court, what, what Congress and the, and the Supreme Court have said is that one person, there's one person and one vote standard, that for every person that votes, they have to have an equal say, which means that every district has to have the same amount of people. And so what this looks like in filling out the census is that if people do not fill out the census, then they are not counted in the census and the, the population in the districts is thrown off. So you may have, you know, say a thousand people in one district and not fill out the census, then they're they don't count. They're not counted in, in how the district is drawn. And because they're not counting in how the district is drawn, the district may miss out on resources um, for schools or resources for roads or resources for environmental justice that you know they would have uh, that are given on a per capita basis. You know, some resources some resources are given. Based upon the number of people that you have in your community, and so if you're not counted because you didn't fill out the census, then your community is losing out on that money. Um, and another thing, as far as political representation, is you want to be counted to ensure uh, to ensure that your your voice is heard, you know, at, at the, in, in the in the halls uh, of elected officials, uh, because the elected officials, you know, if they say my community is thirty thousand people but it's really 40,000 people because 10,000 people didn't sign up, didn't fill out the census, then that then that elected official is not beholden to you, you know, because they don't know you you exist. Um, and I think this is really an existence problem. There, there are pockets in our communities that are hidden because they have not filled out the census, either because they, they fear, because they may be undocumented. Uh, so they, they fear that they can't fill out the census. And on that point, I will tell you that you can fill out the census. Like the, the, your your information on the census is confidential it cannot be given to any agency uh and so it's confidential so you should fill out the census even if you you know are in a mixed status household you should still fill out the census uh and you know it really comes down to resources and political representation like you want to you want your elected officials to represent you and so they have you have to be counted uh, in order to do that uh, but also with the resources. You know, you want your community to have the resources it needs to be successful and to be a thriving community. And if you, you aren't counted, then your community is losing out on, on those resources. Uh, and I'll, I'll leave it there.
1: Thank you so much, Mitchell. That actually leads into a, really well into the next question, um, because you you talked so well about this, the importance of being counted and the importance of being Represented and how it comes to existing in your communities and letting the government know that you are letting your elected officials know rather that you exist. So, Angie, I'll let you start off with this question for time's sake to keep the ball rolling. Um, there is an undercount of communities of color, such as Latinx, African American, our immigrant communities and mixed status households like Mitchell was alluding to. Um, what are some ways that we can ensure everyone is
3: counted? yeah and i i do want to point out or give a couple of examples why we have seen uh, an undercount in those particular communities caitlyn because sometimes people don't understand like the census takes five minutes Definitely. why wouldn't you fill it right we have to co- take in consideration that a lot of communities of color have a a distrust with government right so if the government is sending you a form and asking you to put down you know where you live how many people live in your household you may not immediately feel comfortable with that right so it takes a lot of community like trusted community messengers that are promoting census and really um, under, having folks understand why, how the how the census does benefit them. We also know that a lot of immigrant communities, maybe they were not in the United States in 2010 when the last census was rolled out. So um, this is a brand new thing to them, right? <laughs> maybe you've filled out the census four or five times, but this may be a lot of our community members the very first time they're hearing about census, right? Um, so there's, there's so many reasons why. Um, people may just not feel comfortable filling out the census, or unsure what it is. So we try to recognize that. Um, unfortunately, um, it has been um, we've been on the defensive side in promoting census. Um, we saw that there was a lot of confusion about whether there was going to be a citizenship question on the census or not, and that scared a lot of our folks away from wanting to fill it out. Um, we recently saw that um, the, uh, this administration said that folks that were undocumented would not be counted. Um, um, after the census data was um, collected and was being used to to draw districts, um, we saw that the Census Bureau's timelines have changed drastically because of COVID-19 um, due to social justice, distancing and health and safety protocols. So as of right now, what we do know is that we still want everyone who is residing in the United States to fill out the census and for them to know that they are being protected. Their information is confidential. They should feel comfortable and safe filling out the census. And then they have until the end of September to self respond or to have a census enumerator, somebody that will come and knock on their door and um, help them fill out the form. So groups like ourselves, um, we are still doing census outreach. We're still text banking and phone banking, identifying those communities of color who have low self-response rates and having those conversations with them saying, hey, have you filled out your census? Why or why not? You know, let us help you walk you through the process if necessary. Um, also creating safe messages around you may have somebody coming to your door and this is what they're going to look like and this is why they're asking this information and this is how you know that they're an official census enumerator. Um, so you should, um, you know, we should really still continue to promote the census and let folks know that they have until the end of September to self-respond.
1: Thank you so much, Angie. I'm glad that you brought up um the reasons why because i do think that people can jump to conclusions or jump to assumptions so thank you for bringing up the reasons why um communities of color might be undercounted and then just to clarify it sounds like you said that there was a lot of comments that came in from our facebook stream that of when the census closed and you're saying the end of september is is when to get your your census
3: in right angie yes but let's not wait (laughs) Yes, you must not wait. Do September. it now. Yeah, don't procrastinate. <laughs> the, most, the most recent, yeah, the most recent announcement, and it could change, but the most recent announcement is saying end of September.
2: Yeah, Thank and Kaylin, so if you might, don't mind if you, you don't mind if you jump in real quick, so so you know one, one piece of advocacy that everybody that is listening to this call, you know, can can do right now is to call you know their Congressperson, um, and, and to tell uh, the Congressperson that it's important that a complete count is done uh i read an article earlier this week that said that that the president is trying to stop counting (laughs) stop the counting process a month early um so right now that's a key advocacy push is to ensure that everybody is counted um and that uh the the federal government does a complete count of everybody that filled out the census and does not stop prematurely um you know in, in an effort to undercount um so just wanted to throw that out there as well
1: Thank you so much. Yep, absolutely. So we will need to pivot to the next section, the next topic in our panel. Um, and so the next topic is the elections and the pandemic that we're currently experiencing right now. And I know there is a ton that we can say on this topic, but to make sure we have enough time to get to um, some of our Facebook comments questions at the end, um, please keep the please be concise in your answers. But um, this is a really important question. So. I'll start it off with you Mitch with this question. So given the pandemic that does not seem like it'll be under control anytime soon, what concerns do you have about the upcoming 2020 elections and what would you say to someone who is anxious and second guessing whether they want to vote in this election? Uh,
2: I, w- I would say so. Two, two things I'm concerned with uh, in, in particular are first is this, this myth that mail-in voting is going to lead to more voter fraud um, that is just unsubstantiated and is not is not true. Uh, if people need to vote by mail because they are scared for their health and they don't want to risk their life uh, by going out to the polls and voting in person, they should be able to vote, you know, by mail. And what we're seeing is that the United States Postal Service is being uh, the funding is being cut in some capacities, uh, and they don't have the you know the actual physical capacity to. To deal with you know voting by mail, so it needs to be expanded, but you can't expand the fiscal capacity of the postal service when its funding is being cut. Um, and so that to me is another form of voter suppression that that we're seeing. So I'm concerned about that, but I'm also concerned about in-person voting. There are several you know uh, individuals, there's several people you know several groups of communities of people that need to vote in person, uh, including those with disabilities. Uh, SCSJ just recently filed a, a COVID-19 case in North Carolina in North Carolina federal court. Uh, and one of the the issues that we're, we're seeing is that there's the potential of what we call precinct consolidation. So on, on election day, when there's not enough poll workers because the average age of poll workers is 65 and above, and they don't want to invest because they're in the risk, uh, higher risk category for, for COVID-19, they don't want to be poll workers anymore. And so when a county does not have enough poll workers to staff its precincts, they have to consolidate them. Uh, we saw that in, in Wisconsin and Georgia, uh, where, you know, counties, uh, places that had 130 precincts on election day had five, you know, and that creates long lines, that creates confusion around where people can vote. And so I'm concerned about that precinct consolidation. Uh, but people shouldn't have to choose. They, they should be able to vote by mail um, without an excuse, and they should be able to vote in person if they so choose to because they have, may have a disability. One of our clients uh, is blind. Um, and she needs to be able to vote in person because she can't vote as by mail. And so there, there's this tension between, between, uh, both forms of voting, but both are very important and it should be done safely. Um, and this myth of voter fraud should not hang over, over voting by mail in particular.
3: Yeah, I think, um, um that, yeah, that was a great answer. Mitchell. And I would say like, um like the Southern Coalition for Social Justice, Mi Familia Vota, a lot of other advocacy groups, we are alongside our our elected officials. We're working furiously to try to make sure that voting is safe and accessible come November. um, We did engage, um, we just filed a lawsuit in the state of Texas against the Secretary of State and Governor. We still need vote by mail to be expanded across the state of Texas. We still need folks to make sure that they can vote in person safely. And I think the real key thing that Mitchell alluded to is people need options to vote. People need to decide, be able to decide what is the best voting option for me as an individual voter. Everybody has different household situations. Everybody has different, um, medical situations. Um, and we don't need to pry into people's lives. We just need to make sure that our voters have those safe and accessible options. And we know that in, because of the short turnaround in terms of convenience, lack of funding, the, the communities that always get cast aside are communities of color. Because you know we are not traditional voters. We have a lot of first-time voters. We have folks that haven't voted in a long time, that are new to the system, that don't uh, speak English, um, and it's really easy to just forget about them and focus on our, our traditional voters. And we try to always make sure that we are advocating on behalf of them and saying, we want people to have access to elections. So the barrier for them is not that they didn't want, they didn't decide to, to not vote. It was that there was barriers put up in place. Um, so for someone who's anxious, I would say, you know, find out what your county is doing to make elections safe I think this year around, it does require a little bit more time and preparation to make a voting plan. I, maybe we can talk about that later. Um, but just know that there's a lot of creativity and innovation that's going into elections, and we should welcome that. You know, not just because, of, not just for this year, but really um, redefine what elections could be for every single eligible voter in the United States. I think that's exciting. It's, it's nerve-wracking for sure because November right around the corner, but I think it is really exciting that we, are, we will be able to expand voting this year. Thank you
1: both for those comments. I think that voting is important in any year, right? But this year it seems to be a little bit more complex because of the things that you both alluded to. So thank you for that. And I'm so happy that you alluded to making a plan to vote too, Angie, because there are a lot of folks in the comment stream talking about what good ways they can get information um, just about what is happening in their local community and how they can make a very informed decision and plan to vote. So um, I'll kick it to you first, Mitchell, and then we'll go to Angie. But can you both touch on a little bit about how individuals can make a plan to vote in this upcoming election?
2: Yeah, one way that people can make a plan to vote is, in you know, I think Angie said a very, very important point, you know, is know the rules, know the rules and laws around, around voting in your, in your county. Um, one of the things that, that we're seeing is that with an, a huge influx of, of new voters who want to vote by mail uh, and with these forms that are just hard to understand, um, it's important for voters to know whether or not they need a witness, require need a witness in order to vote or not, or uh, whether they need assistance, how the assistant needs to sign the form. Uh, you know, so that's that's one thing is just knowing the rules. Uh, And second, you know, and this is an overarching principle is just do it early. Do it as early as possible to make sure that you have as much time to turn your ballot in in case there is a mistake and you need to what we call cure your ballot. Uh, Many, many uh, states, you know, may or may not have uh, curing processes for those who, who, you know, make mistakes on their absentee ballot. But Making sure that you do it in enough time so that there is a mistake, you can fix it in time for the election uh, or making sure that you turn in early enough so that the post office can get it to your county board. Like I said earlier, there's going to be you know a huge influx of, of, of voting by mail and there's less capacity with the United States Postal Service. So making sure that you turn in early enough is going to be a huge part of that plan. Uh, I would do it as early as possible you know, I want you to be informed. I want you to be educated about who you're voting for and what you're voting for, but doing it, doing it in an intentional way to do it early to make sure your vote gets there um, by election day. is going to be very important.
3: Yeah, I agree with all that. I think there's a couple of key steps. The first one is one, make sure you are registered to vote, that you are um, active on the voter registration rolls. If you've never registered to vote, um, please, please do so. Find out, you know, Find out when your state's voter registration deadline is, and then do it as early as you can, right? Um, If you feel like you've already registered, um, but you haven't voted in a while or, you know, maybe misplaced a card, go ahead and check again. Um, A really great resource is your county. So I always tell people like Google your county and elections or voter registration, and it'll take you, it should direct you to the site where you can find that out where you can find out and confirm your voter that you are, you are a registered voter. um, You haven't moved since then, or you don't have to update anything. Um, The county is also a really good resource to find your, your sample ballot. Um, So I know. Um, i always go to my county website beforehand put in my information and they're able to show me the ballot that i will see on election day and i you know will research all my candidates beforehand find out where they stand um, i cannot take my cell phone into the and i cannot take my cell phone out at the Voting booth uh, in the state of Texas. So I either print out my sample ballot or write them down on a piece of paper. So I know, you know, I can make the voting process really easy for me because I know exactly who I want to vote for. Um, I find out where my polling locations are, you know, what am I going to be doing on, you know, Wednesday? I can stop by this polling location after work. Um, And my big, big recommendation is once you have figured it out, once you have made your own plan to vote. Share it with others, show other people how to do it. This process is not always easy, it varies from county to county, from state to state. Um, And there's somebody out there that's intimidated by the process. If you have voted 20 times, it's you know you can do it really easily, it's not a big problem. But keep in mind that for folks um, this year is the first time they'll be voting or the first time they feel empowered to go out and vote. And we want to make sure that we're supporting them, that we're uplifting them, that we're providing them with this much information and resources. Um, And obviously in in years past, I would say, you know, take a buddy with you. This year we have to be a little bit more careful. But bring people along with you in the process. Um, Sometimes people don't want to speak up because they're intimidated. I was there as a first time voter. not know what i was doing when i first entered the you know when i saw the my ballot and i recognized one or two names and i felt like i didn't know enough about the process maybe i shouldn't be voting um but i have had people along the way just really support me and give me that um appropriate information and resources um so it's it's a fun process um but it does require some time and energy
1: i love that angie you're right with social distancing bringing a buddy might be Um, hard in in, in a practical sense. But theoretically, absolutely. I love that message of of bring people along with you. Um, That's the tagline they're using during, you know, during this pandemic as we're all in this together and, and what a beautiful message for democracy right bring someone along with you in this process of learning how to vote um, and demystifying the process. So thank you so much. So now we have a lot of really great comments and questions um, that folks are putting into the Facebook live stream and so Um, One question in particular uh, that we wanted to get to, um, because a lot of our folks that are on the call work with youth, um, the youth in our communities. And so a question that came up in the Facebook stream, we'll, we'll punt it to you first, Angie. What would you say to youth who are discouraged by what is happening in the U.S. because they feel like officials refuse to do anything about the things that are important to them?
3: Yeah, that's a wonderful question. Um, I started out with me as a youth organizer. So spend a lot of time with high school students and college age students, having these conversations, right? Trying to bring them into um, you know, the, the world of democracy and then they would see, you know, why is it that my elected official is not advocating for me? Like, does it, does, does it really not matter how I'm voting or how our folks are voting? And the thing is, I would say there is victories and there are losses. Um, and democracy and elections is a way to hold those folks accountable and to let them know, you know, there was a time where you could have stood up for my community and you didn't. And I'm remembering that because just like Mitchell said, you serve me. Um, and I get to choose who I want to ad- who I want to be at that table, advocating for me in Congress, advocating for me at the state and city council and city hall. Um, and we need to make that message really clear. So I think <clears throat> for folks that are <clears throat> disillusioned, I think it's a really great opportunity for them to stand up and just like Mitchell said, speak their voice and say, you know, we're not taking this anymore. You know, we are are the key members of our community and we deserve to be rightfully represented. And so for folks to hold candidate forums, you know, you can do that in a nonpartisan way. Um, Find out what your candidates stand for, follow them on social media, you know, make your voice heard to them, interact with them. Um, and just really use this opportunity to say, you know, this is what I'm voting for. Um, sometimes it's not necessarily that we're voting for an individual. We're voting for the issues that matter to us. And I think young people are very much listening and watching right now. And I would hope that candidates uh, see that, that they are going to be held accountable by some of our newest members of democracy.
2: Yeah, and, and Angie, I'll add on there real quick, you know, is that in. in, in I don't mean this to be in a, in a, in a uh, too frank of a way and a manner of saying this, but nothing's going to change if you don't vote, <laughs> you know, so to, to do those young people, you know, if, if you see that they're issues and they're bothering you, you know, if you don't vote and you don't express your voice then the status quo is going to remain the same. Um, so the only option that you have after that is to use your voice um, and in and, and hope that hope that change and you may win, you may lose, but at least your voice was heard. And at least you said your piece you know, and at least you can be at peace with yourself that you try to do something about it. But nothing will change if you don't vote.
1: Absolutely, that really gets to the essence of our topic for our panel discussion today. You know, your voice, your change, (laughs) your vote, right? So that's great. Um, We do have someone who made a really good comment in the Facebook feed that we just wanted to highlight. She says that they let kids vote on foods that they wanna eat for a certain day. They love it and it introduces them the concept of voting. Yes, I've seen many teachers across the country um, put democracy to use in their classrooms um, to make some really cool decisions and a fun way to get student input on different things and, and get them to exercise that practice of utilizing their vo- their voice um, and how powerful that can be. Okay, and then we had a logistical question come through the feed. And so it is the question was, is it too late to register to vote? And I know this might um, vary. So what are some good resources are, and I know Angie that you mentioned the, you know, going to your county's website. But are there other resources that you both have used that you found that are really helpful when learning about these logistical things, logistical pieces like is it too late to register to vote, um, who my elected officials are, things like that. Mitchell, would you like to sign right. us off? Oh.
2: Or <laughs> Angie. Yeah, go ahead. Either, either go ahead. All right. You know, so, I mean, I think Angie, this might be your answer. Your answer is checking your county website, you know, in your, in your state, you know, board of elections website. I think that they have the most accurate, you know, uh, information on their website, or, or you can call them, you know, if, if you don't want to scroll through a million pages, you can call them and ask them uh, uh, questions that you may have. But I think a general question, I think I can answer this, you know. Uh, competently, that it is not too—it's not too late to register to vote in any state. Um, the election is not for another two months, two and a half months now. Um, so, like you're not uh, you're, it's not too late to register to vote. Uh, but your county board and your state board websites are going to be your best—your best option.
3: Yeah, I would. Yeah, that's perfect. It's right now, today. It is not too late to register to vote. So it's, today's a good day to do it. Yes.
1: Good work, yep, you can do it right now, right after we get off the call, <laughs> while you're thinking about it, right? That's perfect. Okay, so um, one final question. We're kind of coming up to two o'clock here, coming up to the end, um, and so I wanna make sure I give you all plenty of time um, to answer this final question because a lot of folks are are talking about this. We all work with um, customers in our community. We work with, we're all working within our communities in some capacity. And so can you tell folks um, that are listening in about how to join your efforts to engage voters. Um, So you both are doing amazing work. So how can we help you um, do the things that you're doing in our communities to engage voters? And so Angie, I will let it start with you and we'll let this question um, circle out and end our panel. And so if you can speak to Angie, I wanna start with you because we have a lot of folks in the comments um, talking about concerns the Spanish speaking community might need particular help Um, it might look different for the Spanish-speaking community. So can you talk a little bit about how to engage voters and specifically that Latinx or the Spanish-speaking community? Um, And we'll start with you, Angie, and then go to Mitch to wrap up our panel today. So thank you.
3: I'm going to answer your question first. I'm going to add another call to action. Um, But the, the benefit of being able to work virtually and remotely is now we can accommodate for volunteers all over the country, right? So as I mentioned, we are running our our, our hotline and sometimes we get 100 120 calls coming in from folks um in the state of texas and our other states are also um getting a flood of calls coming from their own states and across the entire country so just having people that can have the conversations with our spanish-speaking community is really great those conver- i love those having those heartwarming conversations because people are saying no one told me how to register to vote i you know, I need help, I need assistance, or I'm not sure how to submit um, a vote-by-mail application. So we just need uh, volunteers that are willing to get trained, um, you know, get that information, have those conversations with folks. So you can go to our website, um, and sign up to be a volunteer, and we'll contact you and try to get a training for you. Um, so that's, that's just a really great way to stay connected with us. And then the other thing that I would really um, encourage everyone to consider is, you know, You as a community leader, you as a person that interacts with, um, you know, your own community members, whether you're a teacher or a healthcare worker, you have employees that are Spanish speaking, you know, try to make voting accessible to them. Can you, uh, you know, can they leave work an hour early so they can go and vote? Obviously comply with your state laws and everything, but try to make sure that you're setting an example and also providing them with opportunities, so voting is not inconvenient for them. A lot of the times, our Spanish-speaking uh, workers say, "Well, I don't know that my boss would let me, you know, you know, take off work." And the polls close at seven. By the time you know, I go pick up my my daughter from here from her work, and so on and so forth, it becomes very inconvenient. So figure out how you again bring someone along in that process with you, not physically, but try to meet them where they're at, and try to make sure that you know if you're really committed to helping people vote and get informed, figure out you know, what can I do as an individual to facilitate that process. Um, and you might find out it's, it's as simple as saying like, hey, I want everybody from one to two to use that hour to go vote. You know, here are the, Here's the information. And as you're collecting information and resources, send it out to the folks around you. Um, I think it's gonna have a really big impact this year for folks to share um, knowledge and resources with one another.
1: Absolutely, thank you, Angie. Mitchell, we have about a minute left. You have um, a final call to action for our listeners about how they can join your efforts to engage voters.
2: Yes, uh, you know, but re- real quick on Angie's point that they can't, if, if your employer is preventing you from voting during the workday, um, during voting hours, they cannot do that. That is illegal. Um, and if that does happen, please call, you know, the hotline, Meet Familia Familiar Vote Us hotline or our hotline, and we will take, take care of that. But as far as the final call to action, I think, uh, the important thing is first to vote. You know the work that we're doing at all of our organizations. The work that we're doing relies on you voting, uh, because you are allow us to say that there are thousands of voters that you know were not would be disenfranchised or cannot you know advocate for X, you know, um, into our legislators. So first part, first part is vote, and the second is to do something. You know, uh, you know, my, my my pastor back home says, you know, get off your do nothing and do something. Uh, I think that's very very important that we do something, you know. um, You you have the opportunity, you have a voice and you can use it and you can change uh, your family. Your family's voting history, you can change your community. And as you change your community, again, that ripple effect goes out to your other communities, to your state and to the federal government. Like you have the ability, you have the power to make a difference in your community. And third thing is to serve. Um, We need volunteers um, to, to help with election protection, to be poll workers, to be poll monitors. Uh, and you can serve, like you can serve and help the mission uh, and, and be a part of that movement of doing something, you know, um, and in, in the, in the you know, vein of today's Facebook Live event, you know, your voice, your change, your vote, like you have the ability to make a difference and, and do something. And, and that that's the best way I can do it, is make sure you do something.
1: Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you so much. This is all the time we have today, but I wanna thank Mitchell and Angie for being such informative panelists for us today. I am sure those listening in feel as invigorated as I do to learn more and take action around voter engagement. I would also like to thank Suzanne and Telemon for dedicating space to this important conversation and to our partners at Blue Forest Studio for helping us ensure that the technology today um, ran smoothly. So lastly, but not least, I would also like to thank All of the Telamon staff and community partners on the call. It is an extremely busy time right now with many important things demanding our attention. So thank you for taking the time to be in community with us here today. And everybody, I hope you
0: have a great afternoon. Thank you for listening to A Passion to Serve. A Passion to Serve listeners are now able to leave a voicemail message and offer your input about the episode or episodes you've been listening to. Please use the link provided to leave your message, and I will include your comments during an upcoming episode. If you like the show, remember to please leave a rating or a review. It really helps. Until next time.